0: Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hey,
1: my friend, I am really glad you are here for this episode. This might seem like a pretty casual, fun Topic, happiness. And it is. And we're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast, but we're also going to get down to some very serious business because this is a very serious topic, maybe one of the most serious. And we're talking about happiness, but I also want you to think about joy, which is happiness on steroids. And I believe, and I think you'll agree with me on this, that there is a dearth of joy in this world. And Why does this matter so much? I think it matters because I believe that we are sent here. We are sent here in this life to grow, but even more so to enjoy life. I mean, wow, we have so much available uh, available to us to enjoy, and yet we are up against our inherited brains that we got from our anxious ancestors. Why the anxious ones? Well, because they used worst case scenario planning to make sure they got the berries, to make sure they got the sleep, to make sure they were always looking over their shoulder, to make sure they were always planning ahead for the winter or tomorrow. (laughs) And thanks to them, thanks to their survival, we have brains that are wired with negativity bias. We're gonna talk about this in the episode, but that means we have five times as many neural processes for negative thinking as positive thinking. So happiness, happiness was not important back then. Now they had social structures, they had communion together, which was great, but the anxious ones were the ones that survived. But now we have grocery stores, we have refrigerators, we have 401ks, we have GoFundMe campaigns, we have cars to get us to places to get the berries, but we still have those brains. And most people, before they come and work with me, they are at the bottom of the energy frequency, feeling some uh, emotions you might recognize, shame, guilt, fear, worry, anxiety, anger. And the problem with these isn't just that they take us away from joy, like a million miles away from joy, but they make us sick because all emotions are, they are vibrations in the body caused by thinking. Certain types of thinking create different vibrations in the body, and the slow moving vibrations that correspond to the emotions I just described to you get stuck in the body and they create inflammation, which creates diabetes, cancer, stroke, uh, heart disease, and all sorts of crap that we deal with that we don't need to deal with. So, I want you to listen in, enjoy this, and then do the stuff we recommend because you can hack happiness. You can adopt. Adopt the uh, the habits that we're going to give you in here, and you can start feeling truly happy, truly joyful. And because your brain's not going to want you to change, it doesn't want you to change, even if you're miserable, you're going to have to take one small baby step. And I would love to hear what that is. So please share in the comments when this is done. And until then, just go and enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome, everybody. And welcome to my special guest, Jessica Weiss. Thank you for joining us, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm going to introduce her in just a minute, but I wanted everybody to know if you're watching this, not listening to this, Jessica looks like she's being interrogated <laughs> because of her backdrop, not because of her expression. And that is only because she is in a Manhattan skyrise, and it is super duper noisy. And so she has found herself in a sound soundproof room. And we are excited she's not being kidnapped or interrogated, and that she is here with us to talk about happiness. And she just congratulations first on your awesome TEDx talk
0: that was fun and informative and sassy and um, brilliant. So Oh, thank you so much. It was fun, it was a great experience, and it was really exciting for me to be able to share um, you know, all of my knowledge that's kind of floating in my brain. It was really excited to put it out in that kind of uh, medium into to that audience. And taking
1: everything that's floating in your brain and putting it into 16 to 18 minutes is not easy. So, no, it is not <laughs> way to go. And today you have more than 20 minutes. We're just going to riff and um, have fun and um, help people. And the, the TED Talk was all about how can we actually be happier? And you are not a psychiatrist. You're not a, a sociologist. People might think you might be a counselor. You are a business consultant and you are talking about happiness, which I think is so cool. So let me just tell people a little bit about you. You're an expert in happiness, leadership, culture and organizational development and has spent the last 15 years, as if you're that old, uh, speaking to thousands of people, doing tons of research, all about happiness. And you've got a ton of clients, including J&J, Pfizer, Coca-Cola, LVMH, Hearst, American Express. So you've worked in the big leagues and um, as a management consultant with the focus on organizational transformation. And you're a lightweight because you only graduated from the University of Pennsylvania and you have an MBA from Columbia. So welcome. (laughs) We are excited to have you. And um, I look forward to this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. you, Thank you. All right. So like I said, you were an expert in a field that doesn't typically focus on happiness. It's more about productivity and um, engagement and things like that. And so I just want to know. How did you carve out these this niche of interest when it comes to helping businesses and people
0: yeah that's a great question so what i found was throughout all of my work and i did a lot of um you know we went into those big organizations and at the heart of what we were really doing when we really started talking to people what everybody started to say whether it was an individual or whether it was a team it was like how can i get happier at work How can I enjoy my work more? So we were coming in with this big remit of doing a big organizational transformation and really examining culture. And the question was, why do certain cultures flourish and other cultures don't? But the real question like the real thing that everybody wanted to know was how can i get happier at work so that was always the thing that that was the fuel that got me going because that's that's my personal area of interest so it was interesting to me that in these huge organizations that was the question that was the thing that everybody was looking for and i'm curious
1: because did they actually say the word happy or did you distill that? Because for some people, it seems like happiness is so removed and far yeah. away from where they are
0: right now. Yeah, yeah. And I, so I'm just curious, did you, was it obvious? Right. Okay. So that's a great question. And I feel like happiness is kind of a word that maybe is tainted with, you know, a little, it's a little frivolous. It maybe it's a little silly. This is not something that we should be talking about in corporate America. So no, they didn't necessarily say to me, how can I get happier at work? but it was more like oh my god i feel stuck how can i get more motivation how can i how can i how can i love my job again so when you really started to dig in on that i was like you're looking for more happiness at work you're looking for more contentment more satisfaction more fulfillment whatever we want to call it i personally love the word happiness i'm not afraid to use it i love it i embrace it but um but it takes a million you know different guises depending upon who's saying it and in what context they're saying it
1: I am so glad that you had the courage to use the fricking word happiness. Yeah. And I use its other friend, friend, uh, joy yes. all the time, because I feel like there is an absence of joy in people's lives. And I remember, um, when I started working with an old friend and I, she decided to be one of my clients. She it, is one of the most joyful people I ever remember meeting. And when I started working with her, deciding whether we should work together, if she was a good fit, and she says, in her Southern accent, Denise, I cannot access joy. Right. And I'm just like, what? Right. If this right. woman can't access joy, what is going on in the world? And it's just, it's in our physiology. It's, it's from our environment. It is really hard without help and without tools, like you're going to tell us about because you have researched this, to get there. Well, and- exactly
0: that. And I think that there's the thing that's actually really, for me, really comforting around it, because I'm somebody who's like, as you can see, right, my background is in business and in consulting. So I'm really someone who's grounded in very specific, tangible strategies, right? I want to say, okay, we're talking about happiness. Great. Fine. Well, but tell me how to do it. And the, the great the joyful thing here, right, the great thing here is that there's decades of scientific research now that goes to happiness. And this is like real scientific proven stuff, whether it's neuroscience or social psychology or from whatever angle that we want to get to. But there is specific research that can give us strategies, tools, and tactics that we can all use to build happiness. And that's what I find so exciting.
1: Okay, so I know you got a million of them, but let's start with your favorite. What is your favorite strategy for people to develop happiness? And happiness, people, is not... Emoji happiness. It's not. Exactly. It's not outside in happiness. It is exactly. inside out happiness. Exactly. So, so, what is one of your favorite strategies for going from the to yes?
0: Okay, so my most favorite one. I say this one all the time. I will say it in like a million different ways. Whether we're talking about happiness, just living your life, whether we're talking happiness at work, this is the one. This is the key. It's friends friends are magic. Friends are a proven happiness booster. So whether we're talking about just the quality of our relationships in our outside of work life, or we're talking about do you have a best friend at work, friendship is the key to happiness. So the irony here is, and I don't know if you're anything like me, but at the end of a long day, or when I have like a million things to do at work, The last thing I want to do is start to like have a, even though I love it and I want to have a fun conversation, I'm like, oh my God, I have no time. I have a million things I have to do. I have no time for friends right now. But the truth is that is the key to happiness. The absolute key. Friends are magic.
1: I love that so much. I love that so much. And what a perfect example, like when you don't feel like it at all and I was talking about this with my client group, and one of them said that they have a hack where it's scheduled. Oh, that's it's awesome. four friends, and so they rotate on, I forget what day it is. Maybe it, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't know. I think it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Five o'clock, they all have an appointment to go on a walk. Yeah. Take the dog if you want, walk the dog, and call the friend that's in your rotation. And so it gets them off work. It exactly. gets them Outside, outside
0: walking exactly and it
1: gets them oxytocin yep the love drug on the phone i'm like that is one of the most brilliant hacks i've ever
0: heard Brilliant. I try to do that in my life too. So if I need like a break, if I need a 20 minute break, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to call a friend. And you know, it's like habit stacking, right? So you're walking. So you're doing that. That's great for you. You're getting outside. Another key for happiness. Even me who lives in the middle of Manhattan, I go into central park and I'm surrounded by nature and it just does things for my brain. And then the brilliance of actually connecting with a friend. I mean, I cannot stress this one enough. We need friends. And it's not about having a million friends. It's just about quality friendships, people who genuinely support you, you know, who will cheer you on, who will cry with you when necessary, who will give you a talking to, to get you out of your rut. But friends are the key to happiness.
1: And friends who will bitch slap you in the face when you forget who you
0: are. Yes, exactly. Wait a minute.
1: Wait a minute. Who is this? Who is this I'm talking (laughs) to?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Jessica, I, my mother says that to me all the time. Jessica, you remember who you are.
1: <laughs> I love her. Oh, I, you mentioned the phrase, do you have a best friend at work? And for those who don't know, that was number six, I believe it was on the Gallup Q12. Those yes. questions that they exactly they found through millions of data points. Those were the questions, the 12 questions. And I want to know if you hit the same resistance I did about that. So when I would try and implement uh, engagement surveys at work, uh, I would try and do a version of
0: that. Like, do, do yeah. you have
1: a best friend at work? And leaders would be like, that's just fluff.
0: I know. First of all, I know it's it's a strangely worded question, and you have to real like at least me, and I'm sure you've thought about this too. I feel like Gallup is so intentional with every single one of their words, so I always think it was an interesting way that they chose to ask that. It's not like do you have friends at work; it's right. do you have a best friend at work, and I think that that's actually the thing that that repels people, right? Because it feels a little, I don't know, schoolyard talk, like who's yep. your best friend, yep. right? Um, so, yes, I absolutely have met with resistance from it. And I. the big thing that I also hear, and is this in, in addition to, oh, that's fluff and we're here to talk about work and we're not here to talk about friends, is friends are for friends and work is for work and the two shall never meet. And I'm like, you know what, that is a concept that needs to be left a 100 years ago. Like we need to actually incorporate all of the good stuff that we know because friends are essential to work, essential to work, essential to happiness. And when leaders say stuff like that to me, I'm like, well, do you want to increase productivity? Do you want to increase retention? Do you want to increase creativity, problem solving, raise your stock prices? Then let your people have friends at work. In fact, you need to encourage it. You need to facilitate it. Oh, I freaking love
1: this. It it makes me think of one resource that... We might be able to send leaders too, but you tell me if you have another one. But besides Gallup, um, I don't know if you've read uh, Amy Banks. It, it, she wrote this book, Wired to Connect, a few years ago. And it sounds like a really boring neuroscience book. It was a page turner. Oh, I and, haven't read it. I need to read it. Oh, my God. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And she's such a good writer, too. She's a wonky scientist. who's a great writer. And she's done the research on connection. And the vagus nerve, which as you know, is the major nerve system in the body that regulates the atomic nervous system, which means if it's not working, you're going to be stressed out and very, exactly. very sick Yep. and you won't be able to socialize. You won't have the basic need you know, the basic ability. And what she found in her research was the number one way to heal the vagus nerve was through safe social connection.
0: Sure. That makes perfect sense.
1: And so all your little Facebook friends who are not true friends, that's, I think that you reminded me of this when you said the best Yeah. and why they worded it that way. You have to have somebody who sees you. Yes. And who you can say anything to. Yes. Without feeling judged. That is the friendship you're talking about. Exactly.
0: It needs to be a genuine, authentic connection. And in fact, the research has even shown that, In order to have genuine friendships at work, the relationship or your conversation needs to go beyond work. You need to be able to talk about personal stuff. So like there are certain earmarks that that will tell you when your friendships at work have moved to a different level. And it's that ability to start to talk about personal stuff that really um, transforms the connection to exactly that that genuine, true, and you don't need many. To be perfectly honest, if you have one, I think you're good to go. If you've got more than one, you are gifted and it is a blessing. But if you have one, you are good to go. Oh, I think that will be a relief
1: for a lot of people. Yeah. And so in order to get that one, you've got to be vulnerable, right? You can't have a surface. You can't have them being the only one that shares beyond the work. Um, And I'm from the Midwest. I don't uh, so. In the Midwest, conversations usually go about this deep. Right. (laughs) Weather, Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) What else? What are we talking about now? (laughs) Right. And it's not all that. My family is very good at deep conversations, but it's just kind of a cultural thing. So wherever you live, you got to find that person who is really comfortable being vulnerable. Okay. I love that. I love that we started with that. But now let's talk about
0: money. Yeah. Yeah. Well money's a big one. money is a big one when it comes to happiness. it's it's the trickster in this right um, I think that so many people spend so much of their working life chasing chasing money and you know what and I actually before we even start this conversation about money, I want to say this money is a very real thing. We all need money right It's important it, I do not in any way want to minimize money. Um, but I think it's like a nuanced conversation. So there's a number of different ways that we could start to talk about money. But the big one, the first thing that I want to say is this. Um, we all think that we will be happy when, right? We will be happy when we get the promotion. We will be happy when we get the title. We will be happy when um, we get the relationship or fit into the jeans or whatever it is, right? It's this moving target of, um, or when we buy the house or the big car, it's this moving target that puts happiness out into the future. And what the research has shown is that When you look for happiness from those big things, from the car, from the house, from the promotion, from the salary, whatever it is, happiness from the big things will never, never, never last. Now, the research says this, and I kind of have a bone to pick with the research, but let's just go with it for a second. Um, The research says happiness from the big things will last at a maximum six months. But from my personal experience, and I don't know if you found this to be true, Denise, it, it doesn't it doesn't even go for six months like you don't even get a six month, um, you know, reprieve from from when you finally get to achieve the big goal. And you're like, OK, now now I have the happiness. Now now it's here. Um, it's never six months. But but that's the first thing I want to say about happiness. And if anybody and does it, what I'm you're like,
1: saying, if anybody does what you're saying, they should look up hedonic adaptation. Exactly. Because you just have a baseline and you yes. just keep changing your baseline once you get something new. unless. Yeah. Unless you practice happiness in the now and gratitude in the now for that big boat you bought or that Tesla new version you bought or something like that. So, uh, So should we talk about, we have so many places we could go, we could, well, there's one thing
0: that I want to say about, about money. And it's, there's, and and I think that this is something, you know, in addition to what I just said, so don't spend your time chasing the money. The money is not going to bring you happiness. How many times have you either coached somebody or had a friend who's taken a job because they, have you know, Oh my God, how could I not take this job? It's quadruple the salary, double the salary. It's guaranteed to be awesome. And then they're like, Oh my God, I have made the biggest mistake of my entire life. I don't care how much, they pay me, this job is not worth it. Right. I mean, we've all heard that a million times, but I do want to say this one thing about money, because this is kind of something that like sticks in my, in my straw. Is that the, is that the expression stick it in your hat or whatever it is, <laughs> a bee in your bonnet? Something there you like that.
1: go.
0: <laughs> um, it's this, there was a study probably about 10 or 15 years ago, and I'm sure you've heard of it where they said that once you make $75,000, once you make 75k, no money above that 75k will bring you increased happiness at work. So, in other words, someone who's making 75k, somebody who's making 150k, somebody who's making 500k, the money is actually irrelevant to their happiness at work. And this was like a really popular study. There was there's a guy who's all over I don't know Instagram or LinkedIn, and he's like, I pay everybody 75k. I took a the CEO. Mm. I took a cut to I, I think there's actually some. Like dark part of that story that we should probably leave out. But anyway, um, but, you know, I now only make 75K as though 75K was this magic number. And research, more recent research on the 75K, because I was always like, how is that possible? Like, I, I mean, seven, I understand what, the, what you know, what the kind of the premise is there, right? 75K, you can pay your bills, you, you can eat, you can kind of function and, and you're not miserable. You're not, you're not unhappy because of your lack of of money. But I have to say that if you make 75K or you make 475K, there, there might be a different level of happiness, right? There might be a little more happiness with a little bit more money. It is I'm by no means the key to happiness. But I think it's silly to kind of say 75K is the answer to all things money when it comes to happiness. I think the conversation is a bit more nuanced than that.
1: Do you agree with me? Absolutely, and and I know a lot of people. I'm here in the Bay Area. You're in Manhattan. Would say like 75k is like what? Like yeah. Um, but even that, there is a threshold. I think is what we're hearing. You, you need because the brain has negativity bias and the brain has scarcity bias. We're always yep. hunting for more resources. So yep. we're not going to change that about the brain. So you need some level to allow you to have ease, yes, and comfort. And then um, whimsy, because we all need uncertainty, too. Like, oh, uh, should we go on this, <laughs> our sailboat, or our thing? Like, so yes, you need, depending on what your needs are, uh, to meet that threshold. But then right. after that, I totally agree with you. Then after that, I will tell you, I can guarantee, if we could call him up now, if we asked Richard Branson if his toys make him happy, right? there would be an absolute no. Does he enjoy his toys? Yes, exactly. what does he enjoy about it? He enjoys the friends he brings on them. Exactly, he enjoys freedom. He exactly. enjoys creativity. Uh, he
0: enjoys purpose. Exactly, the experience of it. Exactly, I just, I just, I just feel like that conversation around money needs a bit of nuance. I don't want to be quite so cavalier as to say once you make seventy five k, you know, money is off the table. I actually don't think that's true, but I very much also believe that you cannot think that money is going to be the key to happiness at work.
1: Right. Okay. So we got friends, we got enough money that you're not in constant fear. Let's put it that way. Yes. Because if you don't know how to enjoy your things, you're not going to be happy. Yes. And this is a skill that you have to, you have to cultivate. You have to learn. I think many, many people have forgotten
0: how, how to feel happy. Yes, absolutely. I think that we move through life with, I mean, I think that we move through life with so many things to do and so much focus on getting everything done and this whole busy thing that happy and joy and contentment and satisfaction, we don't even know how to access it anymore.
1: Right. Well, I'm going to show a little chart in just a minute that I I use that helps people access it, but but you have some tools. So um, first of all, we've talked a little bit about money and jobs. So there is something besides how much you're paid. if you have a job you hate, you're not going to be happy no matter what they pay you, like you said. So uh, you found that there are two main characteristics. There are probably a lot, but two main ones that you have to have in your job in order for that job to feel happy no matter what it's paying you. So what are those?
0: So no matter what you do, I don't care what you do, it doesn't matter what your job is. Your job needs to have these two characteristics in order for you to start to feel happiness at work. And the first one is that you have to feel that your success is earned. You have to feel that you deserve this job, that you did something to get there, that your hard work landed you in this spot. So the first one is that you have to feel that your success is earned. And the second one, um, the second one is this. You have to okay, the second one just flew out of my brain. So just give me one second. No worries, no <laughs> worries.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna ask actually say something because Yes, uh, tell me. I wrote down a note. I love what you just said. And here's the crazy thing. So so I work with women. I, I work with some men too, but I work with women. And more so than men, women, even if they have PhDs and just credentials out the wazoo often don't think they deserve yes. the job. We call that yes. imposter syndrome. Yes. And I can tell you, so when I know you know this, so when you say you have to feel like you've earned the job, it's true. It's it's not just like yes. you've earned the job because you worked hard for it. Yes. You have to feel it. And so well, if you and have that, a voice in that, your head,
0: you want me exactly. to be happy. Exactly. And that leads me right to the second thing. I thought it might. <laughs> Thank you so much. The second one is this. You have to feel a sense of purpose with your work, right? You have, and that, let's break down the word purpose because I feel like purpose sometimes is this really big concept that is kind of another one that's very difficult to access, but it's this. You have to feel that you are doing something in your job that somebody could not do for themselves, whatever it is. So whether you are a doctor finding a cure for cancer or you are somebody who works in a retail store who has given somebody the most gorgeous pair of sunglasses they have ever seen in their life and they feel like a brand new person. But you have to feel in your job that you are doing something that they cannot do for themselves. So your success has to be earned and you have to be doing something for somebody that they cannot do for themselves.
1: Beautiful. Um, I'm thinking of like hairstylists,
0: beauticians. Exactly. It's anything. I mean, there's a great story where, um, you know, JFK visited, um, you know, this was like during the whole space, uh, you know, the space, you know, when we were racing Russia to get to, um, to the moon. And JFK visited NASA and he, you know, was like a, a greeting line, you know, he was re- meeting all the scientists and everybody who works at NASA up and down the entire line. And he met one gentleman and he said, what do you do here? And he said, well, I I take care of the facilities and i be sure that everything is in proper order. And really what my job is, I make it so that these guys can put somebody on the moon. So he, his job was to take care of the operations and the facilities and whatever it was, whether it was cleaning the floor or making sure that the telephones worked, but he had accessed his purpose in that I am part of this big thing here. I am helping somebody. I'm I am I'm doing my part to put a man in the mood. Or a woman.
1: But now or a woman. Now. At but that not, time, not, it was a not man. Not back then. Not back then, <laughs> as you know. Um, I love that. So it's not just that you're using your strengths. He was probably good at what he did. I mean, that's important. Gallup said that was important. Uh, but how are you defining what the meaning is of those strengths that you're using? So that's. I just love that anecdote.
0: yeah well when once you tie your strengths to like a bigger part of the organization right a bigger purpose that's when you've started to find the magic right so once you know that you're doing the stuff that you're good at and you're doing the stuff that's helping somebody do something that they would not otherwise be able to do and then if you could actually tie that to the greater goal of the organization that's really, now we're starting to really, you love where you work, you are committed to the organization, you're productive, like you're hitting it from so many places that your level of satisfaction at work has now just gone through the roof. Now, none of those things are easy to do. I mean, you know, to start to kind of, to take your own personal strengths and start to tie it to a greater good in the organization is, is a pretty difficult thing. But if you can spend some time and kind of design your job, job craft your your the way that you're thinking about things to think about that, that's when you'll start to achieve greater levels of satisfaction, greater levels of joy at work.
1: I love it. And since we've both dealt with leaders and leadership and how and the impact they can have on people's lives, I just want to circle back to your first one about feeling like you deserve the job, feeling yes. like you've earned the job. Yes. If you are a person who... Deep down, maybe it's not so deep, like imposter syndrome is pretty at the surface, but we have seen leaders, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to piss somebody off because I'm going to say, personally, I have seen more of these kind of leaders be men Yes, where they will never admit to themselves or anybody else that they don't feel like they deserve the job. Right. But there is some proving in themselves that they are feeling. Like maybe they went from a job to another job that they probably got in this case that I'm talking about, through bias. like Maybe there were a bunch of contenders. They got the job because they knew somebody. And this happens with women too. But traditionally, it's more yes. so men. Where yeah. we see there's a big opening because somebody retires. And it's like a C-level position. Whoa, we got to look from outside. Yeah. Which is always, to me, so stupid. Like, really? Okay. Um, so they bring somebody in from outside who has none of the... institutional Institutional
0: knowledge knowledge,
1: and that person doesn't want to seem like they're flailing
0: but of course they're going to flail because they've just been given this huge job and they don't have institutional knowledge yeah well men like to fake it way better than women do right women at least will lean into it and maybe i mean i they won't necessarily admit it but they'll certainly lean into those feelings men's feelings of imposter syndrome i think come out a lot more in um faking it right like they the manifestation of imposter syndrome in both women and men is very different
1: yes and it can happen in both of them but one of the actions i see as that manifestation is let's reorg the organ let's reorg oh, yeah. the organization oh yeah
0: <laughs> chaos yeah let, let's chaos. cause lots of chaos. So nobody actually looks at what I'm doing and how I'm feeling. But if we're all doing stuff and everybody's very busy, that's a, I mean, I, I did organizational transformation right. for a number of years. So yes, You've seen I'm it. very familiar with that. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so this is not just consequential to yourself. It is consequential to others. If you cannot find joy in the moment, right. even in those moments where you are being stretched and you have fear, you have to be able to access joy and self-worthiness in order to not hurt yourself and others. Okay, I'm off my soapbox for the moment.
0: <laughs> you said something before that was really interesting that that made me think of something. You know, we all have all of these, um, you know, our brain is like hardwired with all of these biases. You mentioned like the negativity bias, the scarcity, you know, there's a million things. There's a cloak of invisibility, so many biases. Um, and one of the things that I love to talk about, because that negativity bias can undermine your happiness at every single turn, right? I mean, it, and it can come up in, in so many different ways. And I mentioned this in, in my TEDx, and this was a huge habit. Like, this is a happiness habit that I would love for people to start to do in order specifically to overcome this negativity bias. And this one comes from... um Actually, I was lucky enough to have him as my professor when I was in college at the University of Pennsylvania. So it's Dr. Martin Seligman, who is the founder of this entire positive psychology movement, right? And all the science and everything behind it. And he says, after six months of doing this one simple activity, there is literally less documentation, less documented depression. So we are talking like medical condition here. And when I tell you what it is that you have to do, you will laugh at me. But once he said there is in six months less depression, I implore everybody to do it. And it ties directly into this negativity bias. And I call it keeping a joy journal. Right. And it goes right to that joy idea. So what I say that you need to do is every night before you go to sleep, write down three things that brought you joy. Um, And they can be tiny little small things like I found this. A soundproof room in my building and I don't have to listen to all the noise on New York City streets and that made it possible for this podcast to actually go right or my three o'clock meeting got cancelled and I had I found um, a half an hour of free time or I had the most amazing sandwich for lunch and that brought me joy by writing down three things that brought you joy you are consciously overcoming that negativity bias and you're allowing yourself to re-experience the joy um, again and again because you're you're remembering it, you're writing it, something happens when we write stuff down, right? It happens neurologically. So I think that in order to overcome that negativity bias, that is a key happiness habit.
1: You're gonna be very, very proud of me.
0: You have a joy journal.
1: I have- That's awesome. I have, okay, I call it a glad brag, because- Oh, that's awesome, Perfect. On the front is gratitude, things that I was great before, grateful for, grateful for. So gratitude and joy are very close. Joy is a little higher in the frequency, but they're they're very close. And then so you get, you know, a little dopamine on this side and then brag. So glad and brag. So things I did that was awesome, like things I did that I'm proud of. And it can be so little, like I found the coupon in my purse and I was able to get 20% 20% off at the grocery store or whatever. Exactly. It was. Like, it no, exactly.
0: Anything. Now, let me ask you a question, Denise. Do you ever go back and look at the stuff? Like, do you ever thumb through old journals and kind of revisit those kind of things? Yes, but I'm going to be very honest.
1: I rarely do this um, because um, the look back is very, very helpful. It's very helpful. Um, and, but I have changed. I've yeah. changed as a result yeah. of practicing joy.
0: Sure. We don't
1: even really need this anymore because That's like you awesome. said six months and so i used to be so again i don't know if this is just a midwest thing but it's like we had like this much of an emotional spectrum that was allowed <laughs> right and i had i had a phrase like well don't get your hopes up like we, i would say shit like that all yeah. the time and it was yeah. like It was like if you were joyful, something bad, lightning was gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, right. And so that was. If I actually get this thing, something bad is bound to happen. Yeah.
1: So I'm bringing out David Hawkins, his little emotional funnel here. And joy is way the hell up here. Happiness is so high, but everything else is contraction, is heavy, is weighty. It makes us feel inflammation. It makes us feel like there's an elephant on our chest and all that stuff. But that's where we live. That's where we all live most of the time. So once I got, okay, I'm going to go to something you just said. You time traveled back in time to your day and found these little things, even if it was only 20 minutes ago, even if it was only a few hours ago. But as you know, uh, the brain doesn't know the difference between past, present, and future. So whatever happened in the past, you can go back and rewrite it. Or amp it up as you're saying, like, oh, wait, that strawberry I had for breakfast. Damn, that exactly. was good. Like, exactly. You can, you can recreate that moment. But because of negativity bias, most of us go back to a conversation we had with our boss. Yes. Where they said something we didn't like, or yes. a coworker who sent us an email that we didn't like. Yes. And that's where your brain is going to go. Exactly. Track for that. And you have to be careful. So what you're telling yeah. us to do is intentionally go back in time and find the joy in something. And yes. then,
0: then you'll start to be able to do it more in real time well like i say i for me it's about re-experiencing it and squeezing all the joy out of it right so by re-remembering it by writing it down you get to re-experience it and there's neuroscientific research that says that your your brain your neural pathways will start to rewire for that happiness so the more that you can re-experience it, you're growing. You're actually growing those parts of your brain to experience more happiness. So I think that that negativity bias happens to all of us, right? You can get ten great things and one crappy thing, and you are focusing on the one crappy thing, no matter what you do. Um, by but by doing the joy journal and by kind of retraining your brain and getting out of that, you know, our brains are not hardwired for happiness. We've got to do stuff that's gonna to pull us out of it but that one is so easy and dr seligman says it's less depression so i am on it
1: <laughs> it's such a good one it's such a good one and when um another little tool you can do it's not quite happiness but um for the brag side of it because yeah. a lot of people are beating themselves up all the time they can't find something right. to be proud about yeah i literally have a go-to moment in my brain where i will go back to when i was a decent softball player in the sixth grade, it's the only time I've been a really good athlete. I don't know why, but there was, and I remember pitching a no-hitter and catching the line drive that was the last out. And for me, if I go back to that moment, I can feel the serotonin just like filling me up. So pick one cool thing you've done in your life. It doesn't matter how little you were. It doesn't matter. As long as it was awesome, you can go back and feel it. And then it might be easier for you to do the joy stuff. Exactly
0: right. And I will say, I'll build on that just to take it to the present moment. Let's say something great happens to you, take yourself outside and enjoy a sunset or whatever it is, go for ice cream, sit, do whatever it is, like stack another activity that brings you happiness. It's whatever it is, it's up to you. So whether you're eating an ice cream cone or you're sitting in the park, but you're, you're stacking the joy, you're remembering this one experience, you're putting another beautiful experience on top of it, so you are squeezing the joy, squeezing the happiness out of it I love
1: that I love that so much and you might want to call it a celebration stack or oh I love it (laughs) or a savor stack yes yes right I love that because then you're associating a reward like oh with something that happens all the time oh sunset wow you know yeah no savor the sunset and stack it onto this like associate it with that oh next time you see a sunset you might associate it with happiness again new neural pathways for it love it love it um okay there's another thing in your talk that I just want to understand better, which is day daytight, daytight compartments. Can you say a little sure. bit about
0: that? Yes. Okay. I love this one. So this one is from Dale Carnegie, um, who wrote a very famous book, who in the talk I say it was in the 1940s, but I have now been corrected that it is the 1930s. Okay. So this man's book has been, and it still is. If you look on Amazon right now, um, his book is like, you know, top, I want to say top 50, but it's beyond top 50. It's how to influence, how to win friends, influence people, some combination of that. But look, the book has its own issues as it comes from the 1930s. And you can imagine. And some of it is hokey as hell. But there are some really great kernels that you can pull out of it. And this daytight compartment is one of the things that he talks about. So this is what this one is about. So if you imagine that, you know, kind of think about the movie. I'm sure you've seen the movie Titanic, right? So in the movie Titanic, you know, there's that pivotal climactic moment where the boat springs a leak um, and it's down in the steerage and water comes rushing in. And this is going to be the downfall of the entire ship. Well, now what ships have and probably more than, you know, I'm sure this goes back in the 1950s or whatever it is, but the captain of these huge ships have the ability to press a button and they press a button and these huge, massive steel walls come down. So wherever the leak is, they can contain it, right? They bring down these steel walls and the leak becomes contained to this one little compartment. It becomes a watertight compartment and the ship can no longer sink. So the ship is able to continue on with its journey and we've isolated the problem by bringing down these huge metal walls. Now, what I say is if you ever have an anxiety If you ever have a worry, if you ever have those annoying freaking voices in your head that sometimes won't shut up, what I am suggesting that you do is you bring down the walls, right? You isolate it, you compartmentalize it in your brain, and you really kind of use that visual of bringing down these walls. You create a day-tight compartment where you're putting those worries, but you're isolating it, And you're continuing to move forward with your goals, with your journey to get to your destination. But you're not allowing the leaks, the anxieties, the worries to get you off course. So I loved that analogy because I think that a lot of women struggle with that ability to compartmentalize. I think, to be perfectly honest with you, I feel like men are a little bit better at this than women are. But if you can create a compartment for those worries and allow yourself to keep moving forward, you will do yourself. Such a favor when it comes to happiness. I love that. I have
1: not heard of that. I'm going to try it. I love it. And it probably helps to tell yourself something helpful. I'm thinking about the Titanic thing. Like, yeah, it's still there. I mean, you can't erase that it's gone, that you can't just like magically the water has gone, but it's not harming
0: anything. It's all going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Exactly. You've isolated. It's still happening. It's just not derailing you. You're not allowing it to pull you off of what it is that you really want to accomplish, yes, it's going to be there it's annoying we've got We've got tools to to shut that stuff up too, but bring down the walls and allow yourself to continue on with your journey. I love that
1: okay, there's one thing um, I just want to say before we leave with people, and also we need to get um, how they can contact you um, and anything else you want to tell us but i'm this may not be a distinction we need to make, but I just want to tell people there is talking about happiness and saying you're happy. And then there is feeling happy. And if you are really, really stressed out and anxious, that energy, literally everything is just, everything around us is vibrating. That particular vibration of fear, guilt, grief, shame, whatever. um, Shame is the heaviest. They're heavy. They get stuck in your body. And, just check in with us right now. You can, if you're, if you're experiencing fear or anything like that, just go into your body and feel where, where it is. For most people, it's in their chest. For some people, it's on their shoulders. So we don't even have to call it an emotion. It's just a feeling. And then I want you to do any of these assignments that Jessica has given you. Pick the easiest one, the easiest one. And then feel in your body where something different is happening. It might feel like a flutter. Uh, it might feel like relief. Yep. It might feel very unfamiliar. But pressure it is... Pressure
0: lifting. Yes.
1: It is pressure lifting. So, and it may take a while because you have all the inflammation from all the fear and the worry and the doubt and the guilt. Guilt yep. is second only to shame in terms of heaviness. Yep. And you can imagine why we have those. We have those emotions because they keep us sociologically safe, like, Ooh, if I have guilt, then you know I'll, I'll be small and I won't piss people off and stuff like that. So they make sense from an evolutionary perspective, um, but you'll drown in them. Back to watertight compartments, you'll, you'll drown in those emotions. So it, if you're doing the journal, but you are not actually feeling, feeling the the feeling in the body that corresponds with that thing, it's not gonna work
0: no that's exactly right and I said write down three things that happened to you that day that brought you joy let's be honest some days there are not three things write down one thing Mm -hmm. that works too write down do it you know take these kind of habits because truly they are habits they are happiness habits take the habits that work for you give them some time to actually build And you will, it is is in the science, like this is not words, this is science. This is proven, proven strategies, but give it some time to work and you will feel it. And it is about so much more than talking about it. In fact, don't talk about it at all. Just do the stuff, just do the stuff. Talking about it in this case might almost be counterproductive, right? Because if you talk about the lack of happiness that you're feeling all the time, you're gonna be really, you know, you're gonna put yourself on a spinning top around, oh my God, why am I not happy? But start to build the habits. The habits will bring happiness.
1: And you can um, maybe walk a dog and watch how the dog reacts to the environment.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: And, like sniffing something and the, the tail starts to wag or seeing another dog and the tail starts to wag. Exactly. Um, yeah. So get or get a puppy. But there's a lot of Oh, gosh. That... <laughs> oh, a puppy. <laughs> or maybe remember when your dog was a puppy and um, whatever it takes to get you into that vibration yes, of yes, yes. joy for me it's also swing sets ah swing sets is a good one if I walk by a swing set on a walk I will get on the swing
0: set <laughs> oh really that's great for me it's really just I mean and this is ironic coming from a, a New Yorker who's lived in New York her whole entire life but being in nature does it for me I just feel like there's something about being in nature that just lets me go ah <sighs> Like, I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't explain it, but it must be something in the vibration and the energy and all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And people can walk in nature,
1: but have their head full of anger and all that stuff. So, But when you really focus on nature and you really just allow yourself to be present in nature, that stuff will melt away. So brilliant.
0: Okay. Uh, Anything else that we need to cover? Well, there is one thing. Yeah. And I will say this, um, it's another key to happiness at work, and it's it's a pretty easy one because it's just kind of a very introspective exercise. So I would challenge your, your audience to think about this. I feel like at work, oftentimes we're so focused on all of the stuff that we're not good at. Everybody always likes to talk about the stuff that we need to get better at, right? And we feel like we're not doing a good job unless we're focusing on the weaknesses. we got to fix the weaknesses, fix the weaknesses, and I challenge you to do this focus on your strengths do the stuff that you are good at every single day if you do the stuff that you are good at now sometimes it's a little bit of a tall order to figure out okay what is it that I'm actually good at but if you give yourself a moment to think about it but if you do the stuff that you are good at every single day you will feel infinitely more satisfied content fulfilled happiness at work. So stop focusing on all the weaknesses and focus on the stuff that you're good at.
1: Absolutely. And there is probably somebody you could delegate the stuff you're not good at, who is good at that. So if you can figure that out, wait,
0: you like doing that? (laughs) <laughs> well, I just feel like we need to change the conversation. I understand to a certain degree, like, you know, we want to get better. We want to be a, a, a more well-rounded human being at work. But I really think in all of that talk about weaknesses and opportunity areas, we forget to get good and better at the stuff that we're good at. And we're all good at stuff. You just need to access that stuff. It's so true. It's so
1: true because otherwise you'll just be debilitatingly sad.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: All right. I love it. Can I ask you a few uh, fun questions? Sure. All right. When you were little, was there something you wanted to be when you grew up? Or was it
0: just always management consultant? Yes, it was clearly always management consultant and also happiness expert. No, when I was little, what I wanted to be was a ballerina who on the side was also president of the United States. (laughs) That gives you big insight into who I am as a human being.
1: Which brings me to my second question. <laughs> if you could appoint a president of the United States and you knew that that person was going to be okay, like they weren't going to be, you know, harmed in any way, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that it was going to go okay, and they were going to be able to use their strengths, and they were going to be able to be happy, who would you appoint?
0: To be president of the United States. Oh, God, this is a big one. Um, You can
1: have a few or none. It's like...
0: Well, okay. I would do. You know who I love, who I adore, and I love her whole life philosophy. And she has built one of the most amazing businesses that we all like. Category transformation. So I know that she um, has the capability and the potential to do it. It is Sarah Blakely, the founder yes. of Spanx. Oh, so love good. Love her. Love her. Right. Perfect. So good. She would be great president. Plus, oh she's got God. that whole "I love Lucy" energy, which I adore. She'd be perfect.
1: So many good things about her. She um, could have imposter syndrome because she yes. doesn't have, I don't even think she, I don't even know if she has a degree. But yeah. I don't know if you know her story, but when she was 16, she lost a friend suddenly. Her best friend was killed. And her dad just came in and gave her a whole box of cassettes, yeah. Stephen Covey's yeah. success. Was it Stephen yeah. Covey? I
0: think No, it was no. Um, Dyer, I
1: think. Oh, Wayne Dyer. Yeah. One of those guys. Yeah. Um, One brilliant, higher evolved, um, high ride reading people. And it was her lifeline. Yeah.
0: I know to hear her talk about that is fascinating. It's
1: so fascinating. And she she is one of those people who feels fear, but doesn't let it stop her because of all the things she did.
0: I love her. And she's creative. And she's I I adore her. I have to say I'm I'm very proud. I'm very proud of my choice. (laughs)
1: Let's do it. Clearly, I'm very excited about your choice, too. Um, all right. And so for those people who are having trouble lifting themselves to joy, there is another little hack that I have all of my clients do. I have all my clients create a playlist of awesome. And every song on it has to be something that elevates them. So it may not elevate me. It has to elevate them. So what would be or is your number one song on your playlist of awesome that always makes you feel happy when you listen to it.
0: Mm, Okay. Um, I'm having like a Harry Styles moment. I'm enjoying Harry Styles. So I feel like there's got to be some song that Harry Styles, I don't know, as it was, I don't know. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Right? His music just makes me joyful. So I'm going to say as it was.
1: And the crazy thing is the lyrics of that are sad, but it is, you cannot help but
0: Exactly. boogie around your kitchen
1: when it's playing. Exactly. or I mean, I'm just, it's so, so it it's so good. It's so yeah. good. All right. I approve of all of your answers. E-
0: excellent. Thank you.
1: As if I wouldn't. All right. So where Jessica, this has been so fun. Where can people reach you?
0: Sure. So I am all over the interwebs, but the easiest way to find me is to just go to JessicaWeiss.com. And once you're there, you can find the Instagram, the LinkedIn, the TikTok, the whole thing. But JessicaWeiss.com is a great place to find everything that I do um, and everything that I love to write about and recommendations and all that kind of stuff.
1: Awesome. And I have a feeling we're going to be friends.
0: Awesome. I love it, Denise. This was so
1: much fun. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom.
0: Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And we greatly appreciate your favorable review to let us know we're helping you become a more brilliant version of yourself by listening in.